All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. <laughs> I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you. This is my boomstick. What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel DeBana. And I'm David Uyoa. And we are here with the uh, final episode of our celebration of Black History Month with Black-created horror, uh, Black directors, Black actors, Black writers. And um, I think, I think we've saved the best for last. Man, I I am not going to disagree with you. Like, uh, so we are, you know, we're doing Nope by Jordan Peele, yeah. and this isn't this isn't even the first time I've seen this, and it's not even the like it's not even like it's been a long. Granted, the movie just came out last year. I just right. saw this movie for the first time like a month and a half ago. I was still so engrossed that I wrote like four notes because I was like, I just yeah. I couldn't take my eyes off it. Yeah, so in um, in a section that we're going to be calling Cowboys and Aliens, um, we're going to give a very brief overview, or as brief as we can make it, because we got lots of thoughts on Peele. We pray at the altar of Jordan Peele. Uh, no, no secret there. We're huge fans of his. So uh, this is, I think, like one of the most perfect meldings of horror, sci-fi, and Western. And yeah. just loaded up with like dollops of social commentary that you can ever find. Right. Uh, so in a lot of ways, this movie feels very familiar. But in a lot of ways, it feels very alien. Yeah. Hey. Um, but does it feel scary? Right. Peels become super famous in the last couple of years for how scary his movies are. Is right. it smart? Because he's also become really famous for not having stupid horror. His horror is ridiculously smart. Yes. Or so they say, right? And um, is it good? Is it enjoyable? So, I mean, look, resounding yes, right? Like across the board, all the questions that you asked. Is, is, is this movie scary? Hell yeah. Um, you know, for, for a movie that, that, that is, that starts off and you think, oh, okay, this one's not going to be scary. This one's just going to be tense. That tension reaches a point where it's not just tension anymore. You're so afraid of everything that's going on that it's not just about the tension that this movie's built. It's also, you're just afraid. Yeah, because um, I think that honestly, and this, I guess this kind of sounds silly to say, right? But this is the most realistic of the three um, when it comes to looking at what makes it scary. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, that's kind of bizarre to say, right? Because there's, this is this aliens and, <laughs> or alien. And, uh, and so, but you, I mean, you look at it and you look at this and you go, okay, 
suspension of disbelief here being that there are creatures from outer space that can come to earth then then this then this is all very realistic you know get out and us both had to stretch a little bit both did a great job with it this one feels like the least amount of stretch Mm-hmm. because it doesn't say there's something happening right here under our noses that we're just unaware of. It says that out there in this infinitesimally large universe, there's things that we don't understand. Yeah, if you can't agree with that, then you're insane. Uh, and so it's this one feels super real. Uh, it is very, very smart. It is one where every character is so freakishly pinpointed at at something very specific that that it is it is smart is the social commentary good it's incredible it's incredible because it doesn't beat you over the head but it is quite obviously there Mm -hmm. and so this movie accomplishes so many things and and takes work it, it is What's amazing about Jordan Peele, uh, you know, there, there's always people who who are chomping at the bit to declare somebody the new goat, right? Jordan Peele said himself, don't say that. Don't don't throw dirt on John Carpenter like that. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that Jordan Peele is, is the, the greatest of all time. I'm going to tell you that he is absolutely one of the greatest working today, and I don't think anybody could dispute that. And what's amazing about when you watch his movies is each one is a scaffold for the next one. Get Out came out of nowhere and no one knew what Get Out was about. I have never met a single person who back when Get Out was new that watched it and was like, oh yeah, I, I heard about it. No, nobody knew what Get Out was about. And that was the surprise. It's so like, then go we, run and watch this movie. Yeah, exactly. And so then, and then when, when Us came out, it was like, okay, I can see, I can see where he's building on what he established with Get Out here. And now he took the lessons he learned in two movies and created something that I honestly can, without a doubt, say is the most visually stunning movie that came out last year, at least of what I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, is, it is the smartest movie, I think, to come out in a very long time. And usually I'm alien stuff always goes one way or the other with me uh, as far I'm either terrified by it or it's kind of laughable. Mm-hmm. And he did a good job of creating something very, very scary. And I, I think that it, I think that he just, just time after time with this movie, every single element was hammered just perfectly. And so, yeah, I think it's smart. I think it's funny. I, I think the, I, I think it's scary. I, it's, it, it hits, it just checks all the boxes, man. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect going into Nope because the trailer was so vague. Um, I saw the trailer, and before it said Jordan Peele, I was like, this looks great. I don't know what it's yeah. about, but it looks great. And then it said from writer-director Jordan Peele. And I turned to my wife. I was like, we're watching this movie first fucking day. It's out. <laughs> and um, I still remember that night. It left such an impression on me. I dropped my kids off at my in-laws place and I went to the movie theater with my wife. And I um, I love to do literary and critical analysis. 
Like that's yes. my favorite. That's my favorite thing to do when I'm reading or watching something of substance. Um, I like to disconnect and just watch explosions too. Like that's okay. That's what, that's what commandos for. That is exactly I, you know. And I was trying not to say commando. <laughs> I know you were. That's but, why I said it. But for that you. that is what commandos <laughs> for right. Um, but when I'm watching something of substance, that is my favorite thing to do because I I love the challenge of trying to figure out what an artist is trying to say with his or her art, and I usually don't question it like i this is what it's about um i left the theater with doubt and i think that when you think you know but you don't know you know then the artist has done the most perfect job of giving you a story and making you think about that story because i left the movie theater and i turned to my wife and i was like i don't know if i'm reading into this too much she was like wait wait you said you don't know (laughs) and we had a long conversation when we went to go pick up the kids and thankfully they were already asleep because we just kept that conversation going and i don't think i stopped thinking about this movie for weeks weeks i kept thinking about this movie i saw it again um sometime uh around whenever it started streaming and then I, I picked it up when we decided that we were going to to do this um, for for this week. I said, you know, I, I got to buy it. I've got all his other movies. I right. as well. And thankfully, it wasn't like Get Out and it wasn't like us. And it's something totally different. It's something yeah. totally new. And it is smarter than both. Yes. Because with Get Out, he he was very, very plain what this movie was about. Right. He was very in your face about it and it didn't feel heavy handed. It was just, this is what the movie's about. So for those of you that are too stupid to get it, I'm just going to tell you so that now, you know, as you watch this movie, that's what this is about. And I think that that's okay. You can kind of take that approach when, uh, when you're still figuring yourself out as a director with us, it was, I think even more plain what this movie was about. And he took a much less heady approach to the to the film, which yes. worked with the subject matter. And I think that he kind of, at, at least as of right now, I mean, this is his magnum opus. Right. It, it is a masterclass of writing. It's a masterclass of directing, of pacing. It, it is. Um, I don't. I, I don't want to give away the rating. Right. But I, you know, I, I kind of already have. But, but we kind of have. Yeah. It is. Absolutely incredible because it is terrifying and it makes you think. And that is, in my opinion, the best kind of horror that you could possibly have. Yeah. And I mean, so you started into it, you know, with we're talking about you're calling this a masterclass in one movie. Jordan Peele accomplished more storytelling and said more than there are some people's entire filmographies that Mm -hmm. say we keep talking about social commentary and, and fear and creating something does in a section that we're calling Gordy's birthday surprise. I mean, does this movie accomplish that? Do, do the story, the social commentary, the, the terror, how real it feels, do all of those things mesh together into something that works? I think it does. Um, And I was somewhat confused when I first saw this movie in theaters because I wasn't certain 
if the very first scene was something that was attached to his monkey paw productions right exactly especially since the dialogue starts during the monkey paw intro right so the dialogue starts in the monkey paw intro and then we're treated to the the first time that we see uh gordy's uh freak out right right um which is a a scene of such carnal brutality and and you don't really see any of it you don't you're a captions guy right yeah. Mine constantly said stuff like flesh squelching. Squelching. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. I don't know that I've ever heard that word before, but mm, it's very onomatopoeic <laughs> right now. I get it. I know what yeah. squelching is in this moment. So I was like, is this like a new intro that they're using for for the movie or like for any monkey paw production? Or or is this part of the movie? And I wasn't certain because it seemed so disconnected right. from everything else that we were watching. And it wasn't until we got uh, Stephen Young telling his story that I was like, oh, wow, this was like a beautiful callback to that scene that I forgot about. Yeah. That I was at first confused about and then later forgot about. So um, there is so much going on in this movie. Right. And so um, you can approach this movie from the perspective that it is about an alien encounter. Right. And you will watch a perfectly fine movie um in that respect are there better alien encounter movies yes there are but that's not what this movie is and if that's all you're taking away from this movie you are only watching this movie and not thinking about this movie um this movie is entirely about a very specific part of the black experience And when you watch this movie, you need to watch it disembodying yourself from whatever your cultural background is, whatever privilege you have. And we all enjoy certain privileges, whatever privilege you have, whatever life experience has led you to where you are. You need to remove yourself from that and you need to watch this from a place of neutrality and say someone is telling me their story. And they're telling it in the same way that people told stories around campfires years ago, where they're trying to scare me, but they're trying to scare me with something that is real in a certain way. They're trying to teach me something here. And it is up to me to be open-minded enough to hear what they're saying and to listen to what they're saying. Because hearing and listening are two different things. So we are treated to how very different people react to what Jordan Peele called the spectacle. Right. Um, right. And, and I was so uncertain about whether I got this movie or not, that I started looking at interviews that he had given. And, and this is, <laughs> this is from him. Right. So um, we, th- I mean, this movie came out at the perfect time because just yes. a year before this, uh, is everything that occurred with George Floyd and, and Derek Chauvin, right? Um, and this is like so close to being present, you know, that it's in the, the, the very, very near past that we don't have to talk about it because we all know what this is about. But we've seen this play out time and time again. The, the black man who 
under the uh, the authority of the police is beaten down and no one cares. Right. People claim to care. People do care. But no one cares. And that's and that's really what this is about. Right. Because they're trying to capture that Oprah moment. They keep calling it. Right. The Oprah moment. Where where it's like, OK, this is what we're going through and we need to show you. Right. Um, the. I think for me, the most interesting thing about this is how not how Daniel Kaluuya or Kiki Palmer handle this, because. To me, that was almost a given. Right. How the other characters in this handle it. So uh, there's there's really three characters that, to me, I think kind of anchor this movie. There's Steven Yen as, uh, Jupe. as Jupe, as Ricky Park. There's uh, Brandon Perea as Angel Torres. And then there's Michael Wincott as Antlers Holst, right? Each one of these guys approaches the black experience in a different way and from their own perspective right so you've got i'll start with who for me is the least interesting brandon perea because as a minority right his name is angel he's played by a latino dude i mean he's latino Right. Right. So he is he's a minority. He's brown. Right. Um, The way that he approaches this is to immediately become an ally. Right. And he is the only person who supports them the entire way. And his intention is never to create spectacle. It is not to uh, to benefit off of the uh, the 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 awful things that is that are happening to these people uh for him the haywood family is anyone and they must be protected and their story must be told because they're people not because they're any specific people but because they're people and you get that from him the entire way where right. he believes in extraterrestrial life, which, by the way, is not extraterrestrial life. It's police brutality. That's what this is about, right? He believes in it. He tells them right away, like, oh, there's all these sightings and there's all this and all that. He knows that it happens, right? He doesn't discount the narrative because his personal life, he hasn't experienced it. Right. So – his, I think, is the least interesting, although it is the, the most positive story outside of the Haywood family, right? Then there's Michael Wincott as Ant, right? He is the perfect example, along with the TMZ uh, biker, of what the majority of people want to do, which is they want to profit off of the misfortune of others. Right. Everyone is ready to take out a cell phone and to record the atrocity that's happening in front of them. And it, it, it happens more and more. I, I don't know how many times I've seen on social media a video posted of something occurring in a school. And it's like, 
there's like a million of you students here. Fucking stop what's happening. Right. right. And I'm not talking about like an active shooter or something like that. I'm talking about like a fight happening between two people. I'm talking about a student and a teacher going at it. You know, like there, there's like literally a million of you here in this school. Just fucking stop it. You know, but everyone is concerned about getting the views, getting the likes on their social media so they can profit off it in some way. Right. Because they want to become an influencer or they want to sell it to TMZ or they want to get the impossible shot. Right. For Ant, it was never about helping them. And that was clear from the beginning. He had no interest in helping the Haywood family. His right. interest was in acquiring the impossible shot. And you saw it the moment. The moment she says, that's it, we got it. And his face is deadpan. And he looks out at the vista. Right. And as an amateur photographer, I knew exactly what he was thinking before he said it. He said, the light's going to be perfect soon. There's a rule in, uh, in photography, an hour after sunrise and an hour before sunset. It's the best light you're ever going to find. It's the magic hour. It's the magic hour. Yeah. So he's looking at it and he's like, the sun is about to start going down. We need to make it happen again because I need to get the perfect shot. And not from in here, not from inside this uh, this tent. I need to get it from outside so that the, the the lighting is right. And it leads into to his undoing, and it allows them to lose the footage that they had. There's right. there it, he was so consumed with himself, with profiting himself off of what is happening to these people that he's like, it's not about them. It's about me. And what I can do. And it's the same thing that happens in the media. How many times did we see the same video of George Floyd asking for his mother? Right. You know, and yeah, it's it's powerful footage and it's it needs to be seen. But how much money are you making off of advertisement, off of the death of some innocent man? And that's not the only time it's happened either. For me, though. The most interesting character here, uh, aside from uh, from M, uh, uh, aside from uh, shit, what was Daniel Kaluuya? OJ. OJ. Yes, that's right. They do a whole OJ bit at the beginning. Yeah, they do. Um, I forget that. Um, for me, it's Juke because, okay. and this this might be me reading into it, right? Because again, I'm not a hundred percent certain, but Juke to me represents white passing minorities who believe themselves to be white. Okay. And the, okay. Danger, the danger of thinking yourself above other minorities and where that can lead you with the true authority. Right. Um, as a person of Cuban descent, I see this all the time here in Miami. Cubans and, and those who are descended from Cubans here in Miami truly believe that they are white. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we are not a minority here. We are the majority. It's a super majority that we have here. I mean, it's something like 70%. It's close to wow, it. like, okay. 68% in Miami-Dade County is Latino. Uh, of that, 
the overwhelming majority is Cuban. We have a very large Venezuelan population here. We have a very large Nicaraguan population here. Uh, we have a very large Colombian population here. And then there's a smattering from all over, right? Right. Uh, all over Latin America. But the majority are Cuban. And Cubans believe, by and large, I'm not saying it's all of them, because I, I don't believe this, right? That we are white. Your Latino heritage right. is what it is, but you're white. And only because I've been in a traffic stop in Alabama where what was said was, where are you from, boy? There we get it. Do I know that I'm not fucking white? Right. Because I am less than to those who think that way. To the jean jackets of the world. I am less than. I'm something else. I'm not like you. Uh, the royal you. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, I got you. I got you. Um, and that is who Jupe is. He's Asian. There's no hiding his no. Asian-ness. Right? There's no hiding his Asian-ness. And yet, he tries to. He attempts to. He dresses like a cowboy. He speaks like a cowboy. He married a white girl. All right. And if the Asian community is anything like what they present in movies and TV and from what I've heard from Asians in my life, that's a big no, no. Right. You know, you, you try to keep it within your culture. Uh, it's the same thing from what I've been told um, from my Jewish friends. Uh, it's the same thing that we were told as uh as, as as cubans is you know you you keep it in uh, they say la raza right ah. within 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 the race within the people right um it is a form of self-preservation in a in a place where assimilation is what is being asked of you so he did everything he could to be white he pushed aside the trauma of what has happened to him, the violence of his past. Good Lord. Which yes. is no different than the violence that is occurring to the Haywood family. It is, but it isn't. Right. Right. Because the trauma is the same and the trauma is real and your story is there. But what's he doing? He's profiting off of that trauma. He has turned himself into someone like Ant. Yeah. And he's continuing to profit off of the struggles of the black man. Buying the horses, buying the land. What's he doing if not pushing the black man out? Because his he keeps saying, hey, my offer's still on the table. My offer's yeah, yeah. still on the table. Until the true people with power come by and say, well, you know, you matter and then you get sucked up and eaten and if there's any doubt that jean jacket represents the police and i'm not talking about just like angry racists anywhere right i'm talking about specifically the police what the fuck does it look like it's a giant eye right mm -hmm. it's supposed to look like the thing that watches you the thing that the moment, what does 
OJ say? He says, you can't look it in the eye. You can't look it in the eye. Right. And that is classic, classic minority, uh, minority philosophy. You deflect, you defer to the power. You, it, it's so powerful. You don't look it in the eye. You look down. Yes, sir. No, sir. And that is exactly what Jean Jacket is. This is one of the smartest movies I've ever seen because I'm still thinking about it and I'm still double guessing whether I'm right about this thing or right about this other thing. And to me, that is where the beauty of this story is. The fact that the Haywood story is any other minority story and it is every black man's story. It's every black woman's story. And it's a story that we all know. And for me, that's why the ancillary characters are the ones that I find most interesting because OJ behaves the same way I would expect a black man who's been beaten down by society to behave. Right. Because M behaves the same way I would expect a black woman who's been beaten down by society to behave. And it's unfortunate, but that's, that's what we've been shown by society is you, you genuflect or you die. Because that's Shoot. that that is your role in society to be subservient. And when they finally triumph at the end of that movie, fuck man, it's so emotional. To me, like I I cried. It was like that stoic silent cry, right? Like I wasn't a blubbering mess or anything. Right, right. You know, it's, it's 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 not um <laughs> it's not Artax dying in this world, <laughs> you know. But um but that, that's like satisfaction. It's like, fuck, yeah, we won. You won. And that is such a powerful story that you can take the narrative and you can turn it around. And you can say, fuck it, we win once. Right. That's beautiful. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, if you watch us on YouTube or, or, or Facebook and, and you look over here and you look at Dave's name and you see that it says professor of literary and critical analysis, if he did not just prove to you that he earned that and it wasn't just given to him, then then I, I don't know that anything will. Uh, I, that, that was incredible. If, if, if you were James Brown, this would be the moment where I would come up and just put your jacket over your over your shoulders <laughs> and then help you off. Get up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I cannot I cannot elaborate anymore on those things that you said. Um, I can only point out one other part of this story that uh, that really stuck out for me. And that is, and it's kind of this twofold thing. And one is this idea of uh, the, the modern, uh, the, the modern adults, uh, people our ages view of legacy, mm -hmm. right? And we, we are of a generation where things are changing so fast that it's impossible to kind of try to figure out what you're going to do that's going to leave your lasting impact. And we talk about this one a lot with these horror movies because it, it is, it is a, a trope that pops up a lot, which is this idea that you're willing to do something that is going to preserve your legacy while also proving yourself to your ancestors that you will go to extraordinary lengths to do it. This is a, so OJ is a guy who works for Haywood, uh, Haywood Hollywood horses. Mm -hmm. And 
this is something that's been around forever. His ancestor was the guy on the horse in that very first, you know, motion picture collection of moving pictures. Mm-hmm. And then his the dad, first the first stunt man. Yeah. The mm-hmm. yeah, first stunt man, animal trainer, actor, all in one. Right. His dad is a guy that what we see of uh, Otis senior Keith David mm-hmm in this movie is that this is a this is a guy who got it done we never know exactly how many horses he has but we do know at one point that oj still has some and he has sold 10 of them after his dad's death so this is a guy who got it done we know he worked on scorpion king we know that that he was a he was a name in hollywood and when he died OJ only knew his place in life as being continuing his father's legacy, Mm -hmm. which is something that our generation is in an awkward place with because things have grown so fast that continuing what your dad did a lot of times these days is almost considered subpar because whatever your dad was doing at this point in your life, the world was a drastically different place. So if you're just doing the same thing he was doing 30 years ago, you're not fulfilling your destiny. You're not creating your legacy. You're just furthering his. his. Exactly. So he finds himself in that place. And I find myself in a slightly similar place where I I come from a long line of of military. Mm -hmm. And so when I was uh, and I thought I was going to be military, that was what I wanted to do until I started failing eye tests. And then I, I couldn't do what I wanted to do in the military. So I moved on. Did you want to be a um, pilot? I did want to be a pilot. That's yeah, what I wanted, I wanted to, be, to do. I wanted I wanted to be a Navy pilot so bad. In my junior year, I failed an eye test. And um, nowadays, they're a little bit more lax on it. But back then, it was not a thing. My physics and- teacher in high school was uh, was an Air Force pilot in Nam. And he and I used to talk after school all the time about uh, he f- he flew uh, an F4 Phantom and I was nice. obsessed with planes, absolutely obsessed with planes and boats I, and, and cars, anything that uh, <laughs> that is mechanical in nature. I just I love right. these things. Right. And um, he uh, he told me once he was like, well, you, you know, you're not going to be able to, to fly the things, though. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, Dave, you wear glasses. I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And it was like that, you know, little Miss Sunshine moment where it's like, but you're yeah. blind, right? It's like, but you can't fly a plane with glasses. It's like, you're going to have to work on them or design them or something. And I was like, oh, no. It yeah. Me. It absolutely crushed me. And he was right. I did go to an Air Force recruiter and he was like, yeah, you won't be able to fly the things, but you can work with them. I'm like, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah. Same, same thing happened to me. <laughs> I, I wanted to be a Navy pilot, but it was the same type of thing. So, yeah. And so, so I kind of, I thought that that was going to be the thing. Right. And then when it wasn't, uh, you know, and I eventually found my thing and, and we talk about it all the time we teach. And I know that ultimately that that's where, you know, that's where my lasting impact is going to be. And there are days where I'm at peace with that. And then there are days where I spend an hour and a half with you chatting on the internet about movies, just hoping that people out there are listening to it and are, and are appreciating what I say. Right. Because we're always trying to find what's our thing. And I think that there's there's a there's a piece of this story where uh, Jordan Peele really subtly critiques this idea of being willing to go to dangerous lengths to find something more 
dangerous and more grotesque and bigger than anything you've ever seen before. And he then evaluates the consequences of the decision to do that. And you talked about the, the, you talked about the people filming fights. I mean, the rise of world star proves this right where on Yeah, sure. You get the likes, but nobody knows who the guy behind the camera is. If you, you could have done something about it and then maybe people would know who you are, but that's not the thought process. Mm -hmm. The thought process is that I capture film. If I capture a picture of this amazing thing, that's going to happen. People are forever going to remember me. Now, the following statement comes from the place of a non-photographer. So if you are a photographer and you are listening and you go, that guy's stupid, everybody knows that, I apologize. Shoot us an email, shiverpot at gmail.com. <laughs> People don't know the name of the photographer who took the picture of the guy standing in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square, right? Your average person doesn't know the name of that photographer. Yes, his legacy is that photo, but it's that photo and it becomes that the guy's legacy right? It's a weird place to put yourself in because you're trying to create a name for yourself while putting yourself in a position where the subject matter becomes more important than the, the than the creator, than the capturer. Mm -hmm. I would, I would argue that for the true artist and photography is art, that is the goal. There's a reason why right. there, um, there's, there's a reason why what the focal point of your, your photograph is, is called the subject. Okay. It is the hope that that is what people will talk about. Right. That you were just, that the camera is just your eye and that you are capturing a frame that others will be able to put themselves right where you were and say, I got it. Yeah. And so, and that's kind of where OJ and, and Emerald find themselves is, is creating their legacy and finding the Oprah moment. And but they also understand that, be, but they also understand how to go further with it because they don't just want to sell it to whatever that website was that might give them five grand for it. They right. want to cut out the middleman, they want to make the run themselves, they want to be on Oprah, they want to be established and, and associated with all of it. So, there's this really cool idea of, of legacy being something that drives. And and our generation being stuck trying to figure out how we create our legacy because we live in we live in a world now where there is so much to be created, but it's it's happening so fast that unless I mean unless you just happen to be in the right place at the right time, that's a very hard thing. It used to be simple. Your legacy used to be I'm going to grow up and I'm going to go to war and that's what people are going to remember me for. And yeah. someday I'm going to hand a box full of medals to my children and that will be my legacy. It used to be that simple. And not that that is not that I'm not taking anything away from that, but that was I mean that was that was an easy life goal to look forward to. Mm -hmm to understand that this is happening now and it's going to be happening for a while. But the, the speed of life is, is, is exponentially faster now. And it's so hard to try to think of something you can do today. That's going to be important in 30 years. And this moment for OJ and M this this was their thing and they risked their lives they risked their lives of their new friend angel who yes volunteered it's not like they it's not like they drugged him and made him do it angel was all about it 
But you know, but there's there's they, this really interesting moment with Angel where, um, and I'm sorry to interrupt because I, I oh did, no, you're good, you're good. I, I I did jump in in the middle of your thought there. Um, there's this moment where they're sitting around the dinner table and they've just planned out what it is they're they're gonna do the next day, and um, they're having dinner, and Angel says, like, listen, beyond the fame, beyond the money, we have the potential to actually help people here, right? Right. Like like it's dawning on him. He's like, we can we can actually do something with this because um, he believed in the extraterrestrial life. But he's just starting to realize the actual effect that it has on people. Right. Um, I.e. he believes in police brutality and he's just now been made aware of how personal it can be for people. Right. Right. And he's like, but we can stop this from happening with this right and like it's this beautiful moment where like the light bulb goes off and he sees it he sees exactly what it is that they're trying to do and oj just looks at him he goes yep like, yep well, it's well, so good welcome to the conversation <laughs> exactly yeah. and so that was uh that that was a big like like it was like a b storyline right mm-hmm. to all of this is just that idea of oj trying to find himself as his own man because it's established very early in the movie when he introduces himself as oj and the girl's like wait your name's oj so it's like one boom there's there's one kind of there's one negative connotation that comes from it but and so how does he redirect that he redirects it by saying yeah it stands for otis jr again not even his name doesn't stand on its own in this moment he's working for a legacy business carrying his dad's name and this interaction with Jean Jacket ends up becoming something that he views as his way. And I mean, it even takes him a little while to come around to it. I've got mouths to feed. You know, I, I, there's, this isn't something I have time for right now. My, my business is out there with the horses and, and, and M goes to great lengths to make him understand that this is how he stops living in the shadow of others and it's it's really it's it's a really cool look at it because it shines a light on it that's very related that, that's very relatable, but it also shines a light on it that shows how dangerous it can be because the consequences of these things can be dire. Yeah. I, I mean, they 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 kept poking the damn bear, and it eventually puked blood and and metal all over their house. Right? They 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 kept at it. They're feeding it metal horses and flags. Shit, they know is gonna piss it off. Yeah, but they keep at it. Why? Because they need the impossible shot. Because they need the Oprah shot. They had to have that. And they were going to go to any lengths to get it. And that idea for me was something that that really stood out as a really beautiful underlying tone to all of the very heady and huge ideas that you expertly described and I'm not going to try to repeat. But it just goes to show that while Jordan Peele can and does create things that are very smart and very scary, he does it in a way where you're left to kind of figure it out. You're right. Us? No. Us? He was like, here it is. And they live underground. And this is a military. This is a, this is a, you know, this is a government experiment. But with this and get out, you're left to go, well, shit, what if? Mm -hmm. Right? What? What what if? I mean, and, and that's and, what makes it most interesting. And that's and that's what makes it work, yeah. Well, and and I'm glad that we're talking about Peel and the way he makes it work because in a section that we're going to call Peel's people, um 
I love alliteration. We are going to discuss it. the cast right now for as big budget a movie as this is. Uh, we don't really have a particularly large cast. The cast we do have, though, is filled with veteran actors. Some so of them good. are are at like the very apex of their career. I mean, this Oscar award winners. Yeah. You know, th this this is a stellar, stellar cast here. Right. Um, so are there a couple of people that you'd like to point out as being like the star for you? Yeah, look, I'm going to I'm I'm just I'm jumping right up on this horse. Right. I am and OJ Daniel mm -hmm. uh, Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya. They are incredible actors, uh, unbelievable actors. And obviously you don't need us to tell you that. Like we said, Daniel Kaluuya is an Oscar award winner. Mm -hmm. um, but the way that they owned these roles in two diametrically opposing ways. Yeah. The, the, the idea that they took this brother-sister combo and created such different characters and then owned them you know granted they didn't create the characters but but they owned those roles and so you've got um you've got daniel kaluuya who is like i said if you've ever seen judas and the black messiah this is a man who can't absolutely own the screen and and talk and talk and keep you enthralled with all of that and suddenly we see him playing a guy who just barely ever strings together more than nine or 10 words. He doesn't have to though. That's, that's just who he is. He's, he's just a guy who says it and he's done. He moves on. And then you've got M and M is out here owning the room, doing what we've seen Daniel Kaluuya do in other films. Kiki Palmer shows up. And when Kiki Palmer is on screen, she absolutely, she chooses a gravity scenery. to her. Yeah. There is, and she chews scenery. I mean, at a at a Malcolm McDowell level, right? Yeah. I mean, she is she is out there just absolutely dominating mm -hmm. every scene that she is in, and she does it all with a look that is mostly underplayed. Mm -hmm. Kiki Palmer is is, a, is is a very very pretty girl, and they they oh, downplay she's gorgeous. That. She's impossible yes. to look away from. Yeah. But they downplayed that in this movie a lot yeah. because of where she's it was. She's in shorts and t-shirts the entire time. Right. She's she's never looking super elegant. She's she always looks like she's ready to go to work and get stuff done, <laughs> not like she's done her makeup up and and all, makeup and all of that. But every time she's there, her charisma absolutely dominates the scene. And what does the genius veteran actor in Daniel Kaluuya do? He fucking allows it to happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we spend so much time when we talk about characters, talking about this idea of people who create actors, who create characters that are larger than life or extremely realistic. What we got out of Daniel Kaluuya in this was understanding when to not be in the spotlight yeah. and how good that made him look how amazing he looked as a guy whose single response so often was just, nope, nope, yep. 
you know, and and they they've got this great brother sister dynamic where you can tell that the dad obviously kind of favored OJ when she tells the story about how she was supposed to train Jean Jacket uh, and they ended up doing it together. And when she tells that story, that's that is one of the most vulnerable times until the very end when we see M because she does always present as the strong, independent black woman, which is very important to the story. And we talked last week um, about the character and the idea of, well, are you going to end up presenting as an angry black woman? And so what she doesn't, what she presents is as a strong, confident woman all the time. I, I mean, she, she is, she shows up to the job like that, but then she shows up to Jupe's place like that. Mm-hmm. And then she and then she shows she shows up to the electronics store like that. She stays like that. The guy comes out there. She's strong, owning the moment. But man, when she tells that story about dad, her dad not letting her train jean jacket. And and she says he never looked at me once. And there's this silence. And OJ doesn't say a thing. Nothing. He lets that moment breathe until she finally says, but you know who did? You looked at me. And then she's back, right? And that, that vulnerability, it's like she, she had that moment where she's like, nope, nope, nope. This isn't what I need to do, right? And he is smart enough to then pull her out of that. Oh, you're talking about Scorpion King. That wasn't even a Western, ba, 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 yeah. right? Then we get into that great brother-sister dynamic they have, which is perfectly encompassed in the amazing high five that the two of them have when they realize that they're oh ready to go, God. right? I will so never that, be that cool, man. No, never. I'm far <laughs> too white to ever pull off a high five because it's not like they were like, eh, eh, eh. No, that shit was, yeah. Right? Like, you got it. It was like, <laughs> they, they knew it and they were confident that it was going to hit. And it was like, that's two, that's two that have grown up together and this is part of their life. And then at the end, when they both are desperately trying to save the other one's life and they both have a plan and they have no way to communicate it, but all they know is they want the other one to live. If that's not brother, sister, then I don't know what is, right? Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, you're going to fight and you're going to cuss and you're going to disagree. But you know what? If you got that hobby weed, we can we can be friends. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because to, to me that's that's the moment where the love comes in because all we saw until that point was frustration, was bickering, and um, and disagreement. Which of course a lot of your sibling relationship is that right right, but. You know, she says, so I guess you don't want to, you know, see what's up. I guess with, you don't want to see with, what's good with, with dad's, dad's liquor cabinet. Yeah. And and he stops and he's like, fuck, man, like I'm holding it together for this place. <laughs> and and th- this is this is what I, I think is going on in his mind. Like, because he stops in his tracks. Yeah. And he doesn't turn around. He doesn't say anything right away. Right. Uh, He lets that moment breathe, like you said. Right. And he's like, I'm keeping all this together to keep dad's legacy. And what is dad's legacy? If not us two, right? Like it's us. It's not the farm. It's not the ranch. It's not the horses. It's, it's us. We're the legacy, you know? And then he's like, well, you know, I got the hobby weed too. (laughs) 
and shit, the, that's the all you way had to say. you got the hobby weed. Uh, and fuck, man. What a great, great yeah, moment. To, to go from that moment to the moment at the end where you've been you've been fighting for your life the whole time, but in that moment, yours is less than theirs. Mm-hmm. Because that's 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 how all siblings feel. That's love. All, that's love. Like loving siblings, that's how mm-hmm. you feel. And 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 all loving siblings, when put in that situation, are going to create something that allows their sibling to say a lot. But what was amazing about it was the 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 idea to have them both do it, mm-hmm. and so it just it showed how symbiotic that relationship was, even though it was presented as something so hostile at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I just they they were such a, a, a for lack of a better phrase a dynamic duo to lead this movie. I was at both times that I've seen this absolutely floored at how good they were. Um, I don't want to talk about anyone else. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I spent a lot of the story talking about the um you know, the, the ancillary characters in, in this, because I think that that's where some of the most interesting dynamics of the story come into play. Uh, but as far as characters go, I mean, these are the two best characters played by yeah. the two best actors and nothing against any of the other actors. I'm a huge fan of Stephen Young. You know, I, yes. st- I stopped watching the walking dead once he left uh, because for me, there was no point in continuing watching that show. Um, and he's an incredible actor. And 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 so is, you know, everyone else. Uh, Keith David, for fuck's sake, man. Keith fucking you know? David, man. Uh, and, and one of the things that I loved about his performance is that he was not a good dad at no. all. And he wasn't presented as a good dad. He was presented as a dad that these two people loved. A dad who provided for them but provided a living and nothing more. Right. He did not foster a relationship with, with, with these two people. He did not. And, and it's, it's, it's not clear at the beginning because we see him and we see OJ and they're interacting together. And we're like, Hey, that's nice. Father and son work together. But in every flashback, it's him talking about the business. It's him talking about, you know, continuing that legacy. Right. And I mean, it, it, in reality, I just said this. What is legacy if not the thing you leave behind? And if what you are thinking about your legacy is it's this business, you're thinking about the wrong thing when it comes to legacy. You know, this this is the reason why we have children, so that there's something of us left in the world when we're gone. Um, you know, we talked about this. I can't remember if it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, but it's the reason why we're teachers. Right. You know, there's the, there's the hope that something that we say in our classroom affects someone enough to be like, wow, there's I, I can do some good in this world. Right. That's that's legacy. It's not horses. Yeah. For movies. Because in the end. You're great grandfather's legacy of being the very first stunt man. Like you have to continue to remind people of this. Right. No one remembers and no one remembers because he was a black man, because unfortunately that's the way the world is. The guy who took the footage is the one who's going to be remembered. He's profiting off of the spectacle of the black man, the same way that Ant was trying to do. 
So, um, you know, it, it, I, to me, really, it comes down to Daniel Kaluuya and, and Kiki Palmer. Um, I could watch Kiki Palmer sit in a chair for two hours. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with her. She's, she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. And, and, and she's so fucking talented yes. and a lot of the humor in this, because I mean, it's almost, it's very easy to forget that Jordan Peele is like one of the funniest guys to ever live. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. With- By the way, if, if all you know about Jordan Peele is get out us and nope, go watch Key and Peele. Like, go find out how oh my funny God. this guy is. Yes. Yes. I mean, some of the funniest things I've ever seen were written uh acted and directed by jordan peele i yeah. mean the, the 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 guy is brilliant he's absolutely brilliant and she does his words so much justice um you know because there, there's a subtlety to kaluuya's humor um there's a subtlety to uh to Perea's humor but she just like you said she chews up that scenery and and i i could watch her do it all day yeah, I mean, and just just one more character thing that, that goes back to my story thing. We were talking about Steven Yen, and I didn't kind of put it all together. Uh, it was something that you said back in story and going with my legacy thing. Uh, Steven Yen's, uh, you were talking about this idea of him being the, 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 the white passing Asian or this guy who just presents himself as, as being white. And, and but then... Also, his legacy being this tragedy that was the Gordy's birthday surprise thing. And even though that is obviously trauma from his past, this idea of legacy being so important to him that that he doesn't let that go. And he's got a shrine to what had easily has got to have been the most traumatic experience of his life. Mm-hmm. But instead of accepting that healing from it and moving on, he created a room that allowed him to live it every day. Why? Because that's what people were going to know him for. So that's what he was always going to remember himself as. The Dutch couple that pays $50,000 to sleep in the room. Exactly. Again, this guy who – and it's – again, and just just some of the the subtlety of this, if – if you're right in the idea that that, that is his character, is the, 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 the white passing Asian, then it makes even more sense for this, uh, this Gordy show that he was on. When, you, when they do show the footage, he's an Asian kid with a white family, right? The rest of them are not Asian. Right. He obviously was. And so, again, that has become such a vital part of his identity that he can't rebuild and move forward. He's tried. He's created Jupiter's landing. It's a great point. I hadn't even considered that. But but he's he's never going to be able to. He has just enveloped his that as as his identity. And again, Stephen Yen just absolutely killing that role and, and doing a great yeah. job. So it, it's just it is amazing that Jordan Peele is writing these great things. And it is equally amazing that he is going out and every single fucking time finding the perfect person to bring these characters he's created to life. Yeah. Um, and nine times out of 10, it's Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, which is an interesting point for people who go, well, all these Peel movies take place in the same universe. Look, he's been two different people. Not everything's a universe. That's okay. Sometimes yeah. a movie's just a movie, right? <laughs> um, what? So... There's one major character here that we've not gotten into because as we're wont to do, a movie monster is worthy of their own segment. 
right? So in a section that we're calling it came from above, we want to talk about Jean Jacket, part UFO, part alien, of course, part social commentator, but 100% monster. Mm-hmm. How does Jean Jacket stack up as a movie monster? Um, I, I love Jean Jacket as, as a movie monster. Uh, we, um, we kind of dumped on Antebellum last week for this specific thing. There's a there's an idea for your villain, but the idea doesn't manifest itself in any way other than an idea. Nope does not make that same mistake. Correct. Nope says the uh, the villain here is police brutality and the way that people profit off of police brutality. And. He creates a monster that represents not the police but police brutality the right. fact the very fact that it rains blood over your house right like there is yep. no escaping this thing i'm right over you i can see you right and if you look yeah at the me, fact bro, that it's right there it's a part of everyday life it's yeah. just a cloud it's, it's something cloud. you see every day and you don't even notice it right you know think of how many times you notice a squad car it's scenery it's it's yeah. part of what it is you know unless you're you've forgotten to like renew your license plate you're not looking out for squad cars usually you know right. but then again i'm not a black man you know so i don't know if that's part of because he he says oj says that he picked it out he's like i've been looking at that cloud for a month or for six months or six whatever months. it is yeah i've been looking at that cloud for six months so maybe Maybe that is something that I'm just taking for granted because it's not part of my experience. You know, um, it, it is such a perfect representation of the evil of police brutality, of the evil of the spectacle. And it's a, it's a it's a villain that is scary. It is so scary because what is it really? Right. Because we yeah. think it's a UFO at first and then. Um, OJ is the first one to say, I don't think it's a UFO. And when we start realizing that this isn't even a carbon based life form, right? That, you know, because it had to have come from outer space, right? It's not of Earth. Correct. So it came from outer space and it flies. That means that it flew through outer space. It can survive in the vacuum of space. This thing is silicone based life. It doesn't need oxygen. It's nothing like you and me. Right. We are so far beneath this thing that it doesn't even register us as people. And that's kind of the perfect way to think about someone who can wave a gun in your face. And if you look at him wrong, can end your life, which is right there. That is there's there's an idea here where Jean Jacket representing police brutality becomes at little things that happen throughout the movie become so important to that idea. The, uh, the fact that you don't, you don't look at it, right? You don't. And I've, and again, we, you, you said earlier, you know, for, for, for all intents and purposes, everybody has a certain amount of privilege in their life. And I am, you know, a middle-aged white man. I can 
look a cop straight in the eyes and and not sweat that because you know the the chances that I fit a description or that I look suspicious are lower than a lot of people who don't look like me. But this idea that you don't you don't you don't look it in the eye, you know, eyes down, right? You don't look at it, you don't draw any attention. Right there. Those things are what go to are what show this idea that it is representative of something that big. The idea that it looks like something normal, like a cloud that you see every day until you do something that pisses it off. Whether or not you did anything that you feel like should piss it off, like just being out in your own field. Right. Then when you do, it becomes a larger than life monster that is like nothing that you can do anything about. Except maybe, maybe get a picture of it being a monster, not a cloud, and then show the world that picture. Look, this is a monster. This is something that we should be banding together to fight against because it's always there. And now I can show you that it's not just a cloud in the horizon hoping you don't notice it. It's a monster, and it is out to get us. And one of the things that I love is the transformation that happens because oh my God, just there's there's this moment where it's like um oh you're trying to capture me let me turn beautiful for you and it turns right. into this beautiful uh this beautiful uh, almost uh, aquatic looking creature yeah right with all of these colors that it's just like hey it's good we're fine look at right. me Right. You have nothing to fear from me. Right. It turns into the the false ally. Yeah. The, the idea right? of the cops that would kneel at the protest. That's exactly what that is. Right. And when you it, because it knows it's going to be captured. Right. It's like, no, 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 no. We're good. We're good. We're good. But it is no different because inside is exactly that thing that you've been fighting this whole time. The thing that has been raining blood on your life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Um, like it literally chews you up and spits yeah. you out. Indiscriminately killing the people that you love for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. Except and, it wasn't even the wrong place. It was his fucking yard. Excuse me. Being in the, right. Wrong, the right place at the wrong time. Right. Um, and, and, and he says that it was like, it's territory. It thinks this is its home. And it's it's a it's a perfect, perfect monster for for a perfect movie. Yeah, um, I, 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 I cannot agree more. I it's it's just the first time this is a movie that's so worthy of multiple viewings, because the first time when it does transform from just the UFO with the hole in the bottom into the monster, the monster that we get. You're just so in awe of mm. all of it that, 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 that some of that stuff did not resonate with me until last night when I was when I was like, OK, well, I know what it's going to be. So now I can you know, I can just enjoy that. I, I'm not going to be surprised by it because it's a lot to see it go from disc with a hole to <laughs> massive thing. And once you know that's coming and you can sit back and, and you can start to wonder, well, why would it do that? And for for all the reasons that we talked about, it's. Again, just just it's it's a masterclass in doing these things correctly. 
And speaking of masterclass, we've got one area left to discuss before we rate uh, Nope. And in a, a section that we're calling the impossible shot, um, I want to talk a little bit about Jordan Peele as filmmaker, right? Um, so he continues to prove himself time right. and time again that he is just um, a uh, a genius. And there's so many aspects of, of, of these movies that he has his hands in. Uh, but what specifically, uh, if anything, would you like to point out as um, like an area of, of filmmaking in Nope that stands out, that's notable for you? Uh, so, again, movies a masterclass, right? We, we've pointed out so many things. When it comes to the actual filmmaking aspects, there's one thing that this movie does amazingly that time after time when watching a horror movie, you see it fail at, and that is the night shot. Mm-hmm. And I am assuming based on the way some of the lighting was that a lot of this was filmed during the day and used to date and used uh, and then run through a day night filter mm-hmm. uh, is my assumption because I've never seen once where somebody filmed at night and it was as crisp as these these night shots were but that being said it was it was expertly used because when it was nighttime in this movie everything was so dark and you saw just enough of what you needed to see but you were fully aware that you were in the middle of nowhere um, if you have only ever lived in cities or and been in cities, if you've never been out somewhere miles and miles from the closest city and experienced a a new moon like where there's no buildings around, it is an indescribable type of dark. And yet this movie so perfectly captures that makes you aware of how in the middle of nowhere you are. And that whole thing embodies the helplessness of this brother and sister that are up against an immeasurable foe. Before you even know what Jean Jacket is, you're aware of the fact that it is OJ and M against the world because there's nothing out there. No one is coming to save them. Their horses are screaming and making awful noises. Mm -hmm. They're screaming at each other. It doesn't matter. No one's coming. And so you know immediately through that and those night shots how helpless this situation should truly be, which then leads you to feel even more accomplished in their victory at the end. I, the first time I watched this, I almost wanted to complain about how dark some of the stuff was upon second viewing. I understood why it was so dark. And Mm -hmm. I was, I, I allowed it to kind of engulf my room that I was watching in. and, And I allowed it to be part of the experience. And then it took on a whole nother level. So that I thought was incredible. Uh, the other thing, and this is this has happened throughout his movies in different ways. It's not just a soundtrack or a score thing. 
there's a sound effects element to every Jordan Peele movie. It's sound design. Sound design. There we go. There we go. There's, there's the right, there's the right film word for it. The sound design in this movie is so good. It's so unnervingly quiet when it should be, but man, those screams that you can hear as, as Jean jacket goes by the, like I said, the I, I'm just here we go. Here's a little insider information uh, for our watcher and possibly for Dave about Daniel DeBona. I'm afraid of horses. Are right? you really? I am. And there's 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 not a logical reason behind it, but I am afraid of horses. And um, so it's a, just a horse noise to me is scary. Just a name. <laughs> right. Like that's that's a bunch <laughs> for me. But these screams, these horse screams that we're getting just bouncing around the scene. So you know that it's moving and you know that this weird stuff is happening. The sound design on this is so, so good. And it's so unnerving. It's and eerie. then, and then they, 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 cl- then they clean it up every once in a while with some, with some music, some really fucking good music. And, um, and but then they always almost every time they put a record on, we got a moment where we got to hear it. Right, that drives me fucking <gasps> mad, man. <sighs> it's 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 and it's it's one of those things that everybody's halfway experienced. If you're if you're from the the Walkman Discman generation, yeah. before things <laughs> just died, they used to almost die and whatever you were listening to (laughs) sounded awful and the way that Corey is it Corey hart sunglasses at night in that yeah yeah Mm -hmm. the way that Corey hart sunglasses at night fades out it's so ominous in the van oh my god and then it starts to come back but it doesn't quite make it and you just get an extended period of this really creepy version of sunglasses at night that all that just the, the soundscape of the whole movie was so good. And, and as director and writer, while, while yes, he didn't actually shoot it himself, but these are his decisions that, that the, that the, the director of photography and that the sound design people are doing. And it's all just executed flawlessly. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I want to focus on tension. For me, this movie has one of the best examples of building tension in any movie ever. Um, like you put this up there with anything. And, and I think that it, it stands on its own. Um, the scene where Jean Jacket comes to Jupiter's claim and just devours oh everyone. Followed by OJ coming to Jupiter's claim. Followed by OJ going back to the ranch. Right. That 20 minutes of film is some of the most high tension in any movie ever shot. I mean, the use of blackout is just so perfect it's incredible the sound design is absolutely incredible the way that tension ramps and builds up it's it's nothing short of 
perfect. It is perfection. And by the time OJ pulls up to the house and it is storming around the house, but around nothing else. And he's, his wipers are just, Whoa, damn. (laughs) The wipers are just going right. Yeah. And, And you can just barely make out that it's not rain. That's over the house that it is blood. It's like, is, is that, yeah, yeah, is. that is a moment that I think will exist in cinema history. It is yeah. it, it is an immaculate shot. That is an impossible shot to photograph blood raining over a house in the middle of a thunderstorm. It is incredible. It's it's beautiful. It's 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 scary. It's it's everything all bottled up into one. And then the last 40 minutes of this movie, 50 minutes of this movie, I think there's the same amount of tension that Ari Aster puts into the last 20 minutes of Hereditary, where it's just balls to the wall. Like, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. I have no idea what the fuck is going to happen. I'm just here to let you take me on a ride into my own mind. And it's incredible because the very first time I saw this movie, I had no idea where it was going to end up. And all I was doing was sitting back with a bucket full of popcorn. I mean, at that point with 40 minutes left, it's only like, you know, (laughs) quarter full. Right. And thinking, I'm just here for the movie experience. And that's, this is a movie that I think should be experienced in a theater with an audience. And I think that the darkness, um, aside from it being used as a storytelling tool to illustrate for the audience, um, there's an understanding that you are sitting in a completely dark box, in a black box. There's nothing here. It's just the screen you and coming out after the COVID pandemic where people were not going into movie theaters to have something like this come out that drives people to the movies. This is a perfect movie going like a cinema movie uh, in, in, in a different, but similar way to like Avengers Endgame. Right. You know, or or any Star Wars movie uh, or this summer, Indiana Jones. Very excited. Hey, right? Destiny uh, on my birthday. Yes. Yeah. Very excited about that. <laughs> so um, like this is that like it needs to be experienced there. It needs to be experienced with that audience so that you feed off the audience. The audience is feeding off of the images and the sound. And it's just um, and, and that sound, man, like you're saying, the sound design like that, that sort of like droning cello. Yeah, that's just like driving the sound in the movie. It is. It's it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, and and all of this being said, it leaves us with one place. And I mean, if you if you if you've been along for the ride for almost 80 minutes now, as we get into rating, I mean, you got to see which way this is going. Right. So if you just a reminder to everybody who listens, we don't compare a movie to any other movie, when we rate a movie, we are just looking at it standalone. So, yes, we've spent some time talking about Get Out and Us, but we are looking at Nope, just right here. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we create a unique rating system for each movie. And for Nope, we are going with something that is 
one of the more bizarre B stories, side stories mm. that's ever kind of existed in a movie and yet so perfectly highlights the actual movie. We're, we're going to look and we're going to pull some inspiration from Gordy's birthday surprise. And out of a possible five solo bloody shoes, what do you give Nope, Dave? This is six solo bloody shoes. I mean, this movie is a masterpiece and I'm not going to reiterate everything we've talked about because like we've sat here and jerked off to this movie all night Yes, and I could continue to, uh, but, but we're pushing an hour and a half here. And, uh, and I, I want to be courteous to, uh, to the audience. Uh, this, this movie's perfect. It's a gold star. Um, I could watch this movie for the rest of my life and be a very happy man. Yeah, hands down, one hundred percent agree. This is this is six this is six uh, solo bloody shoes. It's for everything that we've discussed, for the plenty of things that we haven't. It's this movie encompasses so many things, and yeah, I will watch this again and again. This mm-hmm. is not a movie that that I'm going to shy away from. This is the type of movie that anytime someone's at my house and I find out they haven't watched, nope. We're gonna watch no. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> this is. I mean, and that's and and that's what it'll be. And every time, I'll I'll be scared and I'll be amazed, and I will probably find something new to to talk about. You know, when we redux this in fifteen years, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, this this is this is perfection, and it's so funny because I will say, going into doing this one after one watch, I had said. Get Out is still my favorite, but Nope is very good. After a second watch, I can't stand by that anymore. And I do have to say that of the three, Nope is is absolutely my favorite. You know, I, I was in that camp too. I knew when I left the theaters that I liked this more than Us. And I do really like Us. Uh, I love Us. There's no Jordan Peele movie. There's no Jordan Peele project that I don't love. Right. Um, but I was like, I don't know if I liked it as much as Get Out. And I think a lot of that was like, the the profound effect that watching a movie like get out has on you there hadn't been anything like that ever right um but i do think nope is a better movie well and and that is the thing because like you said get out didn't make you think about it because get out was just said here's what's happening Mm -hmm. and so when you first leave this one and you haven't had time to to analyze everything you're like oh okay well maybe it was as you know maybe it was as deep but then you get into it it's like okay maybe it was you know, the much, much, much deeper. And so, yeah, I agree with you. So there you have it. No math needed. A, a, a gold star, a six out of five solo bloody shoes for note. Uh, we love Jordan Peele. Uh, Jordan, if you're listening, Mr. Peele, we'd love to have you on. Absolutely. Uh, we've got plenty of things going on. You may have noticed today in my hat. If you didn't, I am sporting. Oh, I left mine upstairs. Damn. Um, not not just sent to us by friend of the show, Carl J. Grasso, but actually sent to us directly by Buddy Cooper, the writer-director of the original Mutilator and the new one. So, Mr. Cooper, Carl, you if so you're much. listening, thank you. These are very cool. We really appreciate this. We're looking forward and to good that good quality release. hats, too. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's a solid hat. Like, this yeah. is – I'm usually like a high-crown flat-bill hat, but this one's comfortable. I like it. Um, make sure you keep an eye on our Instagram. We do have a couple things in the work coming up in the works coming up for next month. Uh, don't want to announce next week's yet. Cause we've got to, got to make sure that everything's squared away, mm-hmm. but you can follow us on all the in- social media at shiver pod. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at all of those places. If you don't want to go to all of them, you can just head to shiverpod.com where you will find links to 
each one of them individually. So make sure you head over there, follow us on all of that. We love everybody that we appreciate. Special shout out to the Attic Review on Instagram. I've had some good conversations with them lately about Sarah Michelle Geller versus Jamie Lee Curtis as the ultimate scream queen. We've had some fun. Ooh, I got to get Jamie Lee <laughs> Curtis. I, that's what I called him out for. He posted a thing that was like, uh, swear Michelle Geller is the, the greatest scream queen of all time. And I was like, look, we love you, Attic Review, but mm. don't ever disrespect Jamie Lee Curtis like that again. Yeah, yeah. I, in <laughs> fact, I mean, even though it's only one series, I'd go Nev Campbell before Sarah Michelle Geller too. Ooh, okay. Ooh, yeah, new scream coming out. Yeah, very excited <laughs> for that. So on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, fright you very much. <laughs>